Welcome, 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 pod, uh, podcast listeners. You you are here with your host. This is Budget Pedal Chap. Um, welcome today. We have got uh, you are joined by Matt Quine. You are joined by Paul Mason. Hello. Hello. And you are joined by our new, 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 newest member, uh, another Paul. Say hi, Paul. Hi, Paul. <laughs> it's a running gag. So, uh, Paul, <laughs> would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, tell us who you are and what kind of uh, guitar stuff you're you're doing. Um, yeah, so I, I'm Paul. I've been a member of the guitar group for probably about a year, just over a year. I think Sai was the one who invited me. Um, like everyone, probably a refugee from the other group that we don't or won't name. <laughs> <laughs> we dare not speak its name. We tell us the Voldemort group. Um, I have been playing guitar on off since I was about 15 when I got my encore starter pack with the 10 watt amp from Argos for my Christmas. Classic. Which was a auspicious start to not much of a career. <laughs> um, yeah, so really just playing recreationally rather than anything else. Played in a couple of bands, uh, mostly just for rehearsals and just a bit of a jam. Still consider myself pretty much just above a beginner, I guess, in terms of guitar play. Um, I kind of like owning them more than I usually tend to pick them up and play them, just because I think they're quite nice to look at. <laughs> that um, that yeah, but uh, yeah, so probably a little less experience in terms of uh, live playing or um, you know band uh, dynamics than some of the other people in the group, but uh, definitely got an interest, definitely like to geek out, watch some videos, watch... Uh, Andrew's videos in particular uh, on YouTube. So yeah, just like love all things guitars, pedals, and amps. Um, mm. Just a bit shy of uh, ability, I guess is the thing. <laughs> as long as you got the enthusiasm, that's all uh, all that matters, really. Definitely. And uh, we we do welcome a, an avid collector on here. Uh, so uh, tell us about your gear, then, Paul. Um, so. You might be able to see the ironing board in the background. That thing's got torn for days, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've got my uh, token Yamaha acoustic in the background here. I think it's a nice. I got that a good few years ago now. Um, and I actually played uh, a kind of small acoustic gig at a street party, our street party, a couple of weeks back. And that's the first time I've played that for any amount of time. And it's actually kind of got me into the habit of picking it up and playing it again, which has been quite fun. Um, I've got a USA standard strap, which I got for probably about half the price it was when it was new, um, nice. a couple of months back, brand new, um, because I moved on to the wildly expensive Elite series, which I had no interest in. Um, I've got a 2013 Les Paul standard, so obviously not at the heyday of the Les Pauls, but um, because I'm quite a small chap, um, its weight relief is actually a good thing for me, because um, I am... Quite short and small frame, so I quite like it. Um, although I do play the least out of all them, which is a bit annoying. Uh, I've got a Mexican Tele from 2008. Uh, I've got a Mascus Jazz Master, which we were speaking about yesterday in the group. Yeah, I think that's three people now who've got one of these. They are quite popular um, these days, aren't they? The uh, the Mascus. Yeah, I think I'm like Andrew. I got mine second hand off of somebody for about well less than 300 pound. Anyway, so that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, bang for your buck. And, as of Saturday, 
I am the owner of, I know this doesn't work on an audio podcast, but <laughs> got my uh, Sterling, uh, Sterling Music Man AX40, which I've not really put down all this week. That's since I bought it. Yeah, um, so for those that, that can't see and don't really know the, the Music Man, it's kind of somewhere between a, a Les Paul and a Tele, um, but with added Floyd Rose. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's it's yeah, the the Wolfgang or the Axis or whatever you want to call it. No, it was actually just called the uh, EVH before the. It was the days before Eddie went over to PV and designed the Wolfgang. Yeah. Um, it it was actually just called the Music Man EVH. Yeah, right. Um, so... when he left, they renamed it the Axis. Yeah. But it's uh, yeah, it's 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 that style, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And how are you finding the um, the locking trim system? Well, I um, I got a fret polishing kit by recommendation of Chris from Amazon, so I took that to it last night um, when it finally arrived. So there's quite a lot of gunk came off it, and I restrung my first Floyd style uh, double locking. Uh, a trim system yesterday, which is actually okay because it's not recessed. You don't really have to worry about yeah. the float element of it, so that's quite handy. Um, but I'm quite actually I'm liking the ability to have the you know, the locking nut and not have to worry about tuning room. Yeah, um, which is quite handy. Um, I'm actually a big fan of it because it's obviously short as well. It's not short of scale. It is the, the scale length is still the same, but obviously it's just a bit more compact. And I find it fitting really well, and I quite like the asymmetric neck, very comfortable to play. So yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I've been playing that pretty much since I got it on Saturday, so it's kind of rekindled a bit of interest in actually playing the guitar rather than just having them looking at me. <laughs> so. yeah. It's a bit of a trial by fire as well, the uh, the old um, Floyd Rose-style trem system. Every guitarist has got to uh, has got to restring one at some point in their life. Nope, nope. No, no, no. <laughs> really, really don't want to try. I, I hate restringing it off as it is. Yeah, well, I, was, I actually did it in the living university with my girlfriend. She put a program on telly and then it finished and I'd finished stringing it. I thought it was a half hour program and she kindly informed me that it'd been an hour. So, <laughs> so I thought it would, but uh, we got through it in the end. It does get quicker. It does, yeah, it does. Yeah, marginally, yeah. No, I don't know. I've got to do that. Just wait a minute. <laughs> blindfolded. That's it. He, he's one of these guys who can strip down an AK-47 blindfolded and underwater. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. uh, so we've got to, got to move on. Um, what have we been up to this, this week then, lads? Um, Paul, you've told us about your, uh, your, your recent sterling purchase. Um, Matt, what have you been up to this week? Um, to be honest with you, I was supposed to have a gig today. Uh, we turned up to the venue um, just to be told that um, the function that we were supposed to be playing was actually on the Saturday night, not the Friday night. Um, um, so we got in contact with the person who booked it through, who was like, oops. Um, so we turned up to a venue that was empty. Couldn't couldn't do the night that the actual event was on, so um, it was then just was trying to help out the people whose event it was to try and find a band for the Saturday night. Um, 
I think they ended up with a acoustic three piece as opposed to an electric five piece like we are. Um, but it was all that we could find um, at sort of one day's notice. I mean, that's. And I haven't actually had much chance to play. That's um, that's awfully kind of you. Anyway, supplying a supplying an act for a gig that you can't do. Yeah, well, I mean, it was somebody's fiftieth birthday party, I think, um, and like we're not in the 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 business just for playing. It's like we're not going to leave somebody high and dry when a yeah. mistake's been made, um, and we know we know other bands. So um, our singers in a three-piece acoustic act um, and we, we asked around for the other bands as well but um, they, they managed to cover it off so at least something at least they got some sort of entertainment I mean that's that's wicked that's just that is the proper spirit of it all isn't it yeah yeah so um, but other than that I think I've picked up my acoustic a few times but I don't think I've plugged an electric in this week yeah and uh, and yourself Paul too um, honestly, other than being in and out of hospital because I picked up an infection, I've not really been doing anything guitar wise this week. Oh man. Um, although I did, I've lost some switches that might find their way onto uh, one of my guitars <laughs> very shortly. Oh dear, just just <laughs> leave them alone, Paul. Just leave them alone. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. <laughs> You'll see multiple posts saying, help! <laughs> yeah. What have I done? What have I done? Oh, I've fucked it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, for for our listeners, it, it's somewhat of a running theme. Um, oh, we've uh, we've lost Matt. Oh. He'll come back. He'll come back. He always does. He always does. It's like a bad penny. Um, so, what... What I've been up to this week, um, again, I'm going to be a grumpy, grumpy ass this week. Um, I, My job, boy. <laughs> I know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm taking over resident grump. Um, <laughs> I, I've got a, a little, um, a kind of knockabout board that I use for, um, use for band practices, and it's nothing, nothing expensive and nothing special. Um, but it sounds really good. Um, and recently I added a tuner pedal to it because, hey, we all need to be in tune sometimes. Um, and then I noticed um, some odd odd noises kind of lingering in the background. Um, so I spent a good part of today troubleshooting it. Um, and lo and behold, it was the tuning pedal that I'd... Um, that I'd supplied onto the board um, was making an odd kind of, it was almost a kind of snowstorm sound. Um, That pedal was a boss pedal. Um, So no matter how much I try, um, boss pedals just keep keep letting me down. Um, So I I did a little little experiment today as well um, because I wanted to see if I could use the pedal independently and kind of just have it on my board but plug in like un- unplug the the cable from the the main loop and unplug into the uh the, the tuner pedal as and when i needed it because it was only for practice anyway uh it turns out that the pedal makes the noise 
um, when it's plugged into the the power, it doesn't have to necessarily be going through my uh, my effects chain. So it annoyed me greatly. Um, so yeah, boss pedals not doing it for me. <laughs> We've got Matt back. Woo! Hello. Sorry about that. I don't know what's going on. Uh, just as a recap, Matt, I, I was just saying how terrible boss pedals are. <laughs> so we're kind of we're steering the the natural course. Um, on a on a slightly um, more upbeat note, um, uh, I received a, a like a DIY uh, guitar pedal kit. Uh, last week at some point and I, I finally got some time to to get around to doing it um, and I've put it all together and it works so woo! I feel like I'm an electronic genius now yeah so the video for that is that just a boost or is it a, <laughs> yes yeah. it, it was a very very simple boost don't try and diminish my um, <laughs> my accomplishments I didn't know, here <laughs> I didn't know where it was going to end up I was just how it get louder so I yeah, figured no, it was a boost it was supposed to be some kind of metal zone, but it turned into a. <laughs> it, it came out as a boost, so it was still worked. No, it was it was something like how about. Find, how do you find working with a Veroboard? Um, oh dear, this is where I become a grump again. Um, I I, I did uh, electronics when when I was in school, and and generally I found no problems with it. I found soldering pretty uh, pretty straightforward. Um, turns out when you hit thirty. Um, your eyesight tends to deteriorate somewhat. Um, so, like all of these tiny little components with their tiny little writing on, found that difficult. Um, and, and even though it was only about eight components on this uh, on this boost pedal, it took me somewhere in the region of about two hours. So, I don't think I'm going to be setting up production as of yet for um the budget pedals so yeah um but yeah, i had fun doing it um and it works so all is good right so, so we're not going to see budget chap pedals anytime yeah the budget chap pedals yeah it'd be yeah definitely not a budget as well two two hours doing it i'm not selling them for that cheap it's given me a newfound <laughs> respect for these companies Especially the um, the ones who managed to cram it all into those uh, micro pedal um, enclosures. My God, that's some kind of wizardry that is. Do you think maybe a machine does it rather than a person? No, I reckon it's very tiny children's hands, isn't it? <laughs> that's for the cheap yeah, they're cheaper to buy than um, machines, aren't they? Um, anyway, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna move uh, we're gonna move on to our news because me being grumpy and old is going to be a constant. So it's it's not new. So uh, we we're gonna have a look at uh, a new release this week. Um, it was kind of released towards the start of the week. Uh, it's the Electro Harmonics Slammy Plus. Um, when I first read it, I thought it said Salami. <laughs> well that's an odd name for a pedal um but no the slammy plus um so do any of you guys know anything about this pedal at all uh i know that it's basically a 
whammy. Um, I don't want to say knockoff, so I'll say um, inspired competition for a whammy. It's yeah, a competition for a whammy. Yeah, so I've got some of the specs here. Uh, so it does a three octave span, which I think, as far as I remember, the the whammy is two. Um, whammy two, or certainly the whammy I've got is two. Yeah, so uh, three octaves. I'm assuming that's three octaves down, um, or maybe two down and one up. I don't know. Um, the The spec sheet wasn't very clear on that. Um, it's fully polyphonic, uh, so your chords ain't going to be a problem. Um, it's got 11 modes, so you've got detune, uh, which is a kind of chorus mode. Uh, then you've got various intervals, so minor third, uh, sorry, minor second, major second, minor third, major third, fourth, fifth, major six, and then you've got octave one, two, and three. But what also is is good about this pedal is it's got dual uh, a dual pitch mode, which if you've seen the uh, the product video uh, allows you to do two. Um, two pitches for the one uh, one rock of your um, your rocker. So on the um, on the video, it did one going down an octave and the other one going up like a major six or something like that. Um, and it it sounded pretty pretty damn good. So um, what are our thoughts on this this Salami Plus? I mean, I watched the video. I'm not very well versed in harmonising or you know, whammy pedals. I don't have one. Yeah. But it sounded great. It made some interesting noises. And that's enough to get me hooked. <laughs> that's really all it takes for a pedal. If, it, if I can do something interesting with it, then definitely I'm interested in it. Uh, so, yeah, I thought it sounded great, actually. Yeah, I've got to got to uh, give my, my applause to the guys at EHX. Their product demos are always pretty, pretty good. They get get guys in who, who really, um, really get in tune with the pedals. So Matt, you were uh, you said that you've got a a, a whammy pedal um, yourself. I do. I've got a whammy V V five, I think. I I can't remember to be honest with you. Um, it's a pedal I bought because I thought, oh, it's great. I'll do some weird and wonderful Matt Bellamy style sweeping through it as I'm doing some stupid lead playing. Um, I've plugged it in maybe five times because I just can't find a use for it. Um, I'm, I'm not good enough at that kind of thing Yeah. to, to warrant having one. Um, if I had the, if this was about when I was buying, um, I'd have probably picked this over the whammy. It just seems like it has slightly more features. Um, yeah. It's certainly not something that I'll probably end up with just because I haven't used the whammy, so I don't think there's any point in buying this. Yeah. So you're saying that it's it's not enough to make you uh, retry the whole whammy experience? No, it's not enough to sort of bring me back to it and maybe try it again. Yeah. I think so. I think, um, if I remember rightly, on the... Um, on the pedal, um, on the pedal demo, they used uh, used the the pedal to kind of simulate a lap steel, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. 
Um, yeah, I think you're right, actually. But they, they did a, a couple of cool things with it. And um, to be honest, it, it tracked really well. Uh, and this, this polyphonic uh, nature of it sounds really cool as well. Um, I think uh, I've got the same kind of bugbears with it as we mentioned with the uh, the TC uh, harmonizer pedal uh, the other week um, which I do realise that I keep calling the quintessence um, but <laughs> others are calling it quintessence um, quintessence more than quintessence <laughs> well I, I assume it derived from the, the word quintessential um, which would make it quintessence Um but hey ho, we're not a lexicon. Well, I think it's tomato, tomato, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll leave it to Susie Dent to correct me. I'll give her the final word on it. Um, Is there a tomato, tomato, or the next EHX pedal? Because the very one might be the way of pumping them out at this point. So. That's it. Yeah, you've got the salami. Uh, next week up with the tomato or tomato. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think. Generally speaking, as far as um, as far as pitch bendy pedals go, this one seems like a pretty pretty stand up one. Um, so yep. let's give I it agree. a whip around. What are we saying? Uh, are, are we giving it a yay or are we giving it an a? Uh, start with Matt because you've you've already got a. Thingy, uh, I won't be getting one, but I've, I won't be getting one, but I'll still give it a yay because I think it's it seems like it's going to be a better product than what's out there at the moment. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, Paul? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> that was the point. Uh, <laughs> Paul won. Um, I would have one. I would have most pedals. It's just when I actually get around to taking my wallet out of my pocket and I say buying one, that's where the problem falls out. But yeah, just for something interesting, make some cool noises, I would definitely have one. Yep, and Paul too? Bad off one as well. I used to have um, a Digitech Whammy V1, and that was the 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 best of them that was available at the time. And this actually, it it seems to track a little bit better than the V1. So yeah, I'd uh, I'd give it a crack. And plus, I prefer it to the the normal Slammy because the the normal Slammy is the cradleless one. And oh I, yeah, I, I, I don't like the idea of chasing them around a the stage. I thought we we'd get away with not just. Not even mentioning that that existed, but because <laughs> I think I think EHX are hoping that happens as well. <laughs> yeah, this is to wipe away some bad memories. Of it. How much it's going to be? How much it's? Uh, I haven't got a price on it, unfortunately. It's yeah. about well, depending where you go, it's between eighty and one hundred and ten. That's a really decent price. That is a yeah. really decent price. Um, I'm going to give it a yay as well. Um, I find it difficult to uh to buy into the um the pitch shifting pedals but if i were going to get one it probably would be the the salami so all around yays from us um keeping along on on the ehx vibe for the moment um the, there have been a couple of pedals that um that fall under this new it's a, like a a reinforced polymer housing so it's basically like a plastic wall pedal case. Um, not so long back, but not quite recently, they uh, they released a volume pedal, uh, which is in this same uh, same case. 
the thing that um, really really got me about this volume pedal is it's uh, it's passive, so it requires no power. Oh. So you could you could have it on a pedal board without it taking up any um, any of your nine volts, um, and it's got a switchable impedance, so you can have it twenty five k or two fifty k. Which I don't know what that'll do. I assume probably brightness or maybe something to do with. Um, pedals that work better with low or high impedance so like a for for wah ped, um, wah <laughs> uh, fuzz pedals sorry so yeah um, that, I thought that before was before I knew cool. those facts before uh, I knew those interesting facts the uh, thing that interested me was the price because it's about maybe 45 50 pounds oh really it's a very decent price to me yeah, yeah and again I mean Volume pedals are notoriously not cheap. Mm. Uh, very, uh, very kind of prevalent in the the American guitar scene with the praise and worship thing. They love the volume swells. Um, not so much over here in the UK, but for that price, you might see them. Um, and finally, uh, the, um, they've done quite a few. Um, with these plastic cases i know they've done a couple of wah pedals they've done the the cockfight plus um <laughs> i think we're being baited with that title to be honest they want us to giggle at that um it's the stupidest it's the stupidest thing in the world though because it's a cocked wah in a wah housing <laughs> so is that not just back to being a wah again <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, know, maybe uh, just... the the wah sounds not static it's the because uh, it's got an in integral fuzz, and that's what the the expression pedal actually changes. I, I thought it, it was a case that the you... wire at all. I think, I think that's right. Anyway, uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do some research on this one. I was under the impression that you could set the range for the wire. Um. So either way, I'd just rather get a wire pedal. Yeah, I mean, they did release that as well. The wireler, uh, the wireler wire. Again, in this plastic yeah. housing, um, and it comes I'd, in. I'll be getting that before I got the cockfight. Indeed, I mean, just the fact that it's called a cockfight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah, just leave. on, just on the website. Go on, Matt. Just on the website for EHX, and you can turn the fuzz off and control the wire with the. Um, so oh, you, okay. you, ca you can control the wire, or you can turn the fuzz on and control the amount of fuzz with it. Oh, brilliant. So it's quite a versatile pedal. Um, yeah. But they've it's still, they've still got a title that means it's in Joey's domain and nobody else's. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just talking along the lines of these um, EHX polymer-housed pedals, uh, they've, they've bought a, a, a dual expression pedal as well. Um, yes. Which has... Uh, switchable uh, reverse function on both um, expressions and it has got um, it allows you to set the range as well and they're not coming in at a, an expensive price either um, I, I DHX seems to be really good on price no matter what they bring out yeah yeah I, I, I dare say it's the um, the 
the plastic casing, which is bringing down the price no end. Yeah, but even the even the standards, like the um, like the original cradleless ones, they were made out of metal, and they they use quite a, a, a high quality um, electronic trigger. Yeah. To like we said about the whale war, it uses quite a high quality trigger to track the motion of the of the pedal without it actually having a cradle on it. And you can use it on solid wood, you can use it on carpet. Yeah. You know, and it, 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 it is, much as I say, I don't like the idea of chasing it around the stage, but what it is, it's actually a cracking pedal, and yeah. it only costs about 100 quid. Yeah, it's yeah, a great bit of engineering. You know, so for that level of technology, getting it for 100 quid, is actually pretty, it's, it's well in the ballpark of, of your average war pedal. Yeah. So, I think EHX are really kind of um, consumer-focused in terms of their pricing. and Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're a company that I, I, I like to get behind. Um, we're going we're gonna to move it on to uh, slightly um, more negative news now. Um, so, a big... <laughs> a, a rather large company that we all know and love and never take the piss out of on a weekly basis. Um, <laughs> Welcome are, to the Gibson segment. Indeed, yeah. It's our weekly Gibson flogging. Um, so we first we're going to have a talk about um, the, kind of the end of last week. Um, Master Don's guitarist, and I don't know how to pronounce his name, Bill Kellyer. Kelleher. Kel- yeah, Bill Kelleher. Kelleher. Um, yeah. I, I, I did well enough. Um, so he, he's left <laughs> Gibson for ESP um, recently, um, but he's not done it quietly. Uh, anyone want to tell us uh, about that news story that's been floating about? Well, he, he wasn't exactly happy with the uh, the treatment that he got from Gibson, was he? Um was that uh, nobody really seemed to care about him and his requirements. Yeah. Um, and the the other thing was that they were they were releasing the Bill Kelleher model Gibsons. Now, bearing in mind, he uses drop tunings almost exclusively. Yeah. Um, they were sending them out with standard gauge strings on tuned to standard. So obviously they were intonated for standard as well. So when people tried to go into Bill Kelleher's tuning, they they wouldn't stay in tune. They had the wrong gauge strings, so they sounded crap. Um, you know, fans were actually getting in touch with Bill himself and saying, "Look, these these guitars we're getting from Gibson are just not cutting it." Yeah. Um, Bill fought against Gibson for a while about that to, to try and get them to change it and they just they just wouldn't. Um yeah, but he was yeah. also a bit concerned about the the um the turnover of A and R guys. Yeah. He, he was saying you you just about see you just about get to know one of them and suddenly they were gone. You know, and it, and it's people who really knew the job. People who really wanted to do well at the job. 
and they were out to prove themselves, and yet Gibson had just turned around and gone, no, you're not what we want, thank you. Yeah. It's... And you'd end up with some absolute plank in, in the job instead. Yeah, there was... So there was he really wasn't happy one. about Gibson. Yeah. yeah I mean, he, there was... he was really... There were a lot of complaints, weren't there? Um, there was another one that, um, with his uh, with his second signature model, he expressly asked that it it was a, a full-weighted body, um, and then they released it as a chambered body, mm. even though he'd expressly asked that that not be the case. Um, so, I mean, we're only getting... Because um, it was from a uh, an interview with Ultimate Guitar... Um, yeah. So we're only getting the one side of the story. Um, well, that's probably because Gibson don't bother to respond to any requests for um, their side on it. Yeah. Which is the same. We're going to come for some other news, but it's exactly the same there. Gibson have just refused to say anything about it, despite the fact that it's it's widely covered in the media. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, losing... Uh losing such a, a high profile figure as uh, as bill but then then also if you look to um to kind of even further than that um james hetfield um did a very similar move himself he moved away from gibson um yeah. to esp and and what yeah, but uh, at that time you could you could just say that that was down to what he was offered through esp because it, it at the time, I mean, you're talking the early 80s when that happened. So, at the time, Gibson was actually in a pretty good place. I was uh, under the impression that it was uh, that it was much more recent than that, because I remember um, Gibson having the, uh, the the Les Paul Cross, um, the one with the... Oh, yeah. um, yeah. The, the, I remember. Yeah. Um and the, I'm like, sure the that Iron was a, Yeah, the Iron Cross, that's the one. And I'm sure that was a Gibson model. Um I think he's I he thought, was, I thought he was it was with both. He was with both for a while if if that was a Gibson model because um the, every one of the thirtieth anniversary um for their album, so since what was it, twenty fourteen they did the Yeah. Um the Kill them all signature. They, they yeah, yeah, a, they were all uh, ESPs, weren't they? Signature as well. They were all ESP, um, and he's he had signature ESP. Um, I don't know what they they call the shape of the explorer. The snake he had a signature ESP shape. But yeah, I mean, he's, that's... he's had a signature one of those since um, Death Magnetic was out. So that's what two thousand and eight. Yeah, I, I, we're talking. Well, I think we're talking like probably fifteen years, but I'm I'm sure um, within my lifetime, it's it's been the case where he's been signed to Gibson. No, I don't think he ever left ESP. Um, um, from what I can remember, him and Kirk actually signed up to ESP at the same time. Oh, did they? And I, I know Kirk, Kirk um, had ESPs going through, uh, I think, it, the Black Album. He was seen with um, the... He had a, a few models. He had like a Les Paul model and a. Um, yeah, he was using the yeah, uh, uh, the Eclipse. He was. Um, he's got the Nosferatu. He's got the Mummy. Yeah, yeah. 
He's he's got the the new Ouija board. Oh dear God, yeah. Um, but kind of swinging it back onto our uh, our original point that um yeah Gibson's let's do that. Not yeah, we've got we've got a fair bit to get through today, so probably probably the, thing, the Bill Kellen thing. I mean, it's obviously there's a desire for those instruments because he's gone over and he's got an ESP Les Paul and an RD, or essentially an RD with ESP. Yeah. But it's just it's the element of the artist relations which appears to have just completely crumbled. Yeah. Mm. And then um, no. it was okay. So yeah, uh, just um, to with with fairness to to both sides, um, it was at a point where um, there was a contract renewal, and Gibson decided to not renew the contract. Um, so it's it's not like anyone was fired for. Uh, for anything, or or that Bill stormed out, but they they essentially parted ways. Um, however, the words that Bill has said since then has painted a very uh, a very grim picture for for Gibson, and that brings us onto our our kind of breaking news for for Gibson uh, of this week. Um, so it it was released today that they're selling their Memphis. Uh, factory uh, and the Memphis factory of course is uh, it, it sees some electric uh, guitars being made but there's a, a big portion of the the semi-hollow Gibsons that are made there um, and from yet another Paul of ours um, uh, he's been telling us that the the Memphis factory is one of the most consistent in quality uh, amongst Gibson, um, and then losing that could uh, spell some disaster for for Gibson's quality overall. I mean, you'd hope that. I mean, it is obviously. I think the reason cited was uh, going to smaller premises. Yeah, and you'd hope that that expertise and you know the manufacturing practices would follow. But I think it's it's a bit reflective of the company as a whole. Yeah, it was only a couple of weeks ago that that uh, there was mentioned that Gibson were in some sizable debt, um, and I think mm. along with this article, it's it says as of August it was five hundred and twelve mil. I I've got approaching five hundred and twenty on this uh, on this article that I read about. Um, it probably is more like that now. Yeah. And they're selling the the Memphis factory for something like seventeen mil. Yeah. So it, just um, I was that's clear. Uh, like we mentioned about um, uh, reappraising them recently. Yeah. And I was actually reading something about that. Now, it's like Matt, you said you thought Moody's only dealt with sort of. Um, country's financial viabilities and what have you but they, they, it's not that, it's any sort of global corporation as well right. um, now when you look at other companies like um, Fender uh, even who is it? Guitar, um, what's the American place? Guitar Centre yeah um, they've, they've got sort of global concerns and they have stayed in the sort of Fender's gone up from B1 to B2, which is it's a four-point improvement. 
Um, guitar Center has uh, gone down from B2 to B1, but they're all still in a pretty decent place. Yeah. has gone to CAA1, which basically means if they don't pull the socks up by August 2018, they're going into receivership. That's, uh, that's never They've a good They've got to try and pull back. No, I mean, if you take into account the 17 million that they're asking for the Memphis premises. Yeah. Um, but then again, they've got to buy a new premises as well, so you don't know what they're going to be paying for that. So let's let's just round it off to 500 million. Where the hell are they going to get 500 million in 12 months? They'll have to sell themselves. They'll have to find somebody who's interested in buying the company and bringing them back to former glories. And it's not going to be, you know, your average man off the street. You're going to have to get invest a lot of investment from somebody who's got a lot of money to throw at it. Oh, yeah. That's the only way they'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Do you reckon that's I mean, why the, they're, we they're a, keeping a, Slash Sweet at the moment? I'm thinking he'll buy him out. <laughs> um, I mean, we did we did actually have a bit of a convo about this not so long ago about who we thought might be good for for buying them out. Now I'm hoping it's going to be somebody that's well into the guitar community already. Yeah. Um, there was I think somebody mentioned Marshall might be a good shout. Surely Marshall. Would have I think there's kind of that would be two sinking ships uh, steering each other, wouldn't it? There. <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the problem. Um, I mean, who's who's really got the collateral for it? I mean, you, you've got Fender; they could yeah. do it. Hmm. Um, I, I don't he's, think they'd be allowed to. That... Yeah, I don't think so. That's monopoly. I probably wouldn't be allowed to. I think anybody would want to buy a Gibson if Fender took over. I also don't think that. Yeah. I don't know. I'd, I'd quite like a Gibson just, Stratocaster. I think they didn't bring. Oh, they got a Gibson PRS recently, didn't they? Yeah. Those new ones. I think if you if you're <laughs> reasonable about it, it doesn't really matter who takes over as long as they keep the practices and styling that we used to associating with Gibson. I mean, I, I made a throwaway comment that even Ibanez would be good for it, purely based on the fact that, alright, I know they couldn't afford to do it, but they would have the the quality control and yeah. the working practices to build some absolute, I mean, they make some absolutely fantastic hollow bodies that nobody really considers with Ibanez unless you're in the jazz world. I think um, in terms of... But just... they, hand, they hands down comp- compete with, with Gibson. Yeah, they're um the the quality control overall. I mean, I've I've picked up um Ibanez guitars that have been extremely budget friendly, and even they have played well. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that they sound the best, and I mean often what I'll say about Ibanez is that as long as you you don't want it to sound the greatest out of the box, you're fine. Because um, their pickups tend to be pretty weak, um, but if you can afford a, a pickup upgrade and some some decent electronics, a, a good proportion of those budget Ibanez guitars are fantastic. And then once yeah. you get past a certain price point, they start putting branded names in anyway. Yeah, Dimaggio usually. 
Yeah, well, they've, they've got Demazio, they've got Seymour, uh, EMGs as well. I think my thoughts on this may be a bit long-winded, but thoughts on the Garrison thing. So you look at Fender, you've got Fender and they've got, and they've got, a, in terms of their American line, they've got quite a small range. So you've got your mates and uh, the professionals for yeah. Fender. And they've got a decent portfolio of other businesses. You've got Charvel Jackson, who each to their own produce some pretty decent instruments yeah. um, and that fit a market. You've got, but then on the other side, and obviously Fender have other like PAs and all this kind of stuff. On the other side of things, you've got Gibson, who they've got Epiphone, Kramer, and just not, I think, maybe Epiphone, but in and of itself, the Gibson range is enormous, like the American range. Yeah. It's huge. And all these, like, even with the, like the 2018, 2017, 2016 announcement, you've got your standard, your standard plus, or whatever the hell they're called. And then, you know, they're traditional and they're not so traditional. And then you're <laughs> kind of a studio and a studio. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's too much. There's too much and too expensive. It's, I mean, who gives a rat's arse about all those color options anyway? It's like you need to <laughs> just concentrate on certain core things. Like, say, the Memphis stuff, that's great quality. It is expensive, but I think you get more for your money quality wise with a Memphis than you do like a USA kind of, you know, like a Les Paul standard or whatever. Yeah. And I think it just needs to be focused. It's, just, it's very wide. And then, what was it? A few months back, they bought out that six grand guitar with a shit drive circuit in it that didn't sound particularly great at all. It's like, it's like, who's, who's crying out for that? I mean, no one's crying out for that, I don't think. Unless it's yeah. Slash, unless he asked for it, which he might have done. I've played, played the fifth on that. Um, I think I, I think you've touched on a, on a great point there, though. To be honest, because if you if you compare Gibson and Fender side by side, Gibson kind of start uh, their their range starts at the upper end, the kind of seven, eight, nine hundred pounds. That's where they start, and then it only gets higher than that. Whereas Fender, mm. I mean, they've got a huge range within that kind of five hundred to a grand range. And then they've got, mm-hmm. like you say, they've got the American stuff, and then the uh, the vintage uh, pro or whatever it's called. Um, so they've got it going up, and then they've got on top of that the custom shops as well. So they've they've got the the, the entire price range kind of catered for. Yeah, if you look at the subsidiary companies that each of them own as well, like Paul was saying, um, I mean. Charvel, Jackson, Gretsch. So they've, they've pretty much got all corners of the market covered with pretty popular big names. Gibson, on the other hand, they own Kramer and a bunch of other companies that nobody really buys into anymore. No, correct. No, it's, it's names that were, yeah, names that were big in the, be 80s the 80s or yeah. 90s and nobody bothers with them now. But I've, I've got to defend them in the fact that Epiphone as a brand, seem to be absolutely killing it recently. Um, yeah, so that's... that's um, by, by I say recently, I mean, like, kind of past decades, if not a little bit longer than that. Um, their quality is, is pretty much consistent. They've got the corners of the market sorted. I mean, they go down to, like, £99 um, for... Yeah, it's yeah not... but it's an ugly-ass £99 one. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they cater for it. They cater for the £99 kind of range all the way up to kind of um, a couple of grand for some of the the master-built Epiphones. The scary thing is, is if you look at it, 
Epiphone really is the company that Gibson should be. <laughs> yeah, to be honest. That's what's, buy... that's what's scary about it, though. I think you're right, though, because, like, say, the Fender stuff, like, what, um, the last year and a half, two years, they've had the offset stuff that's completely taken off. Yeah. Cheap, you know, interesting guitars. That's what Epiphone are doing. But that's probably feeding a dying giant of Gibson USA, as it were, just pumping out needlessly year on year updates to a standard and a traditional model that don't need to be there. Yeah. Costing money to produce and nobody's buying. But... Yeah, and, and the, the stuff that they are bringing out that's kind of new and weird in in the um the, the new double cut, the modern double cut, is yeah. it's unattainable. It's mm, like mm. four grand. Yeah. That's that's a starting point as well. Yeah. Uh I think we're gonna leave it there for uh, Gibson today because uh, I mean, we we could chat about it for a, for an hour at least just on this, but um, we've got. We've Should got we do a Gibson stuff. special one day? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think we probably have to. Uh, it'll, <laughs> it'll probably be in a year's time, death of Gibson or yeah, Gibson in memoriam. Well, um, so yeah, well, like I say, yeah. um, Moody's has set the deadline for August, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. Um, moving on to a company who um, a kind of fly under the radar, um, Carving uh, Carving Audio, um, which mm-hmm. is basically their um, their amplifier range. Um, they have closed down. Um, so uh, since since about the eighties. They're they're kind of most known for um, the the legacy series amps uh, that Steve Vai uses. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, not much else. Um, so it's not really a surprise. But um, what has um, come as a surprise almost is um, Carvin also had the the guitar. Um, Almost like a, a custom shop. Um, and it's unsure what's going to be happening with that. The carving guitars has already gone. Yeah, well, it, it moved over, didn't it? It moved over to a, a different brand name. Yeah, once once they got um, Germany's son, Jeff Keisel, designing their guitars for them, once the future of the company started to look a bit shaky, uh, Jim and Jeff actually bought the, the guitar line outright. Yeah. And they are now producing it under the Kaisel range. Yeah, um, that's the name, yeah. So the, the legacy of, of carving guitars is still secure because Jim and Jeff are doing an absolutely fantastic job of keeping it going. Yeah. Um, the, the audio range wasn't really that well known for amplifiers like you say a lot of it was PA systems and things like that and when it was announced that um, Carvin Audio was, was closing its its doors or closing its books um, that I saw a massive outcry on a lot of forums that were saying well you know we've used Carvin all our lives who the hell do we turn to now because nothing compares <laughs> yeah so I, th- I think in in that case it is a massive shame for Carvin. Yeah, that, yeah, no, that that's happening. That they're not a company that ever sort of outsized themselves or anything like that. They they 
No, it, they, they put seem good to customer play, care so. into place. Yeah, I mean they they had excellent customer care. They they did what the customers wanted. It's just for some reason they're just not able to keep going. It's, I think for companies um, like that, it is a shame. Aside from the the tie-in with Steve Vai, um, I think Carvin in general kind of got got left behind with the the 80s and early 90s. Um, I think the problem was they couldn't compete in price with uh, companies like Steinberger and, and what have you. Because, I mean, you, you consider you've got the Steinberger Spirit Desks, um, uh, same sort of quality as Carvin for a fraction of the price. Yeah. Um, even Behringer are, are doing a good line in desks that cost about a quarter of what a carving desk does. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, it, I think it is just a case of, because of the size of the company, they just couldn't produce the the stuff of the quality that they did to match the price of other companies. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's... Um, a, a couple of months back, there was a, an article saying um, the death of the electric guitar and and stuff like this. I mean, such giants as Gibson being uh, forecast trouble and and companies going completely off the radar like Carvin. It's uh, yeah. it, it is kind of feeding into that fear. Um, but I don't think he's gonna. Be a complete death knell for the uh, for the guitar, though. No, I mean for the electric guitar. We're gonna have to see what happens. Um, it's it's been a real downer this uh, this news week. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna move on to some questions yeah. because hopefully they'll be able to pick our spirits up a little bit and kind of tying in with what you were uh, what you were saying there. We're gonna go on to our first question. So our good friend Joey uh, has asked for a little bit of help. Um, he wants to do a little bit of home recording um, in in aid of uh, kind of upping his practice I think um, and he wanted to know um, which which interfaces would be would be a good place to start um, so have we got any any suggestions for him obviously not carving yeah <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I never use them. Literally in the last month, bought a first right eye track studio. Cool. Um, and it's, I think, 99 quid, I think. And it's fantastic. Two inputs, one for an instrument and one for an XLR in for a microphone. Yeah. So you could either mic up an amp or um, plug his guitar directly yeah, in. Yeah, you got to do it. Garage brand. Um, and then you can plug it into uh, iPad or iPhone, or if you get a different adapter, you can even plug it into a computer. I think it's a great piece of kit. Um, I, I, it's certainly one site can sort out. I've got a problem at the moment where I've got a knackered um, three metal jack to quarter inch jack thing, so I can't actually <laughs> can't actually monitor it through anything other than an amp at the moment. So it's kind of a little pointless. But as soon as I get that sorted, yeah. um, I'll set, I'll definitely be using it a lot more. Yeah, I mean the focus right stuff in general. If if you want to go for a dedicated um, a dedicated PC or Mac kind of interface, uh, I think it's the Scarlet. Um, they they do a similar thing with 
two, uh, basically like a, a stereo, a stereo inputs, uh, which can be used for both uh, instrument and for XLR, I believe. Um, I mean, when the when the question came up, I initially thought uh, Focusrite. Um, I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't actually. I own think Focusrite get the best reviews as well. Yeah, they? yeah. Considering the price point, where they're sort of like eighty, ninety quid, they get the best reviews as well. Yeah. Sorry, I had um, I had a, a Native Instruments one a few years back, and the amount of RC I got the drivers for that thing for Windows and Mac and all this kind of stuff was about being the backside. I got a Focusrite. Scarlet two I two earlier this year. Yeah. Plug in and you're away. And it's just so simple. Like I say two inputs. Mm. It's couldn't recommend it highly enough. And again it was about hundred quid off Amazon. So it's kind of a no brainer really. Yeah. If you've got a hundred quid. I mean I I've only ever heard good things from the, the uh focus right stuff. I don't use one myself at the moment. This uh this podcast is going through an Alesis IO two Express. Um which it's do they still make them things? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they're they're not they're not expensive. Um, they were a massive a massive name in the nineties. You don't really see them very much now. No, 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 no. Um, it's generally just kind of these weird little um, interfaces. Um, but this one, generally speaking, works pretty well. Um, it weren't too much of a pain in terms of getting it getting it set up with my pc um but the the drivers are uh, sorry the preamps in them are nowhere near as good as what you get with the the focus right stuff um i'm going to give a uh, an honorable mention to some of the behringer stuff as well i believe um it's the zenix series of um of mixers usb mixers uh, that use um, Midas preamps, which is supposed to be absolutely brilliant quality as well. Um, but I yeah. can't verify that. I've not tried them. But again, I hear a lot of I hear good reviews. Yeah, a lot of a lot of our guys. Um, ooh, probably about a year ago now, we're all uh, raving about the iRig stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've got a little iRig, uh, an iRig Pre. Uh, which is basically one um one XLR which you can use on a on a mobile phone. Um and I've used that to great success. Um but it is it literally only works with mobile devices. Um I think you can get them for PC as well. Yeah yeah. Um so something like that might Again they're about eighty ninety quid as well, so it's not you know, when you compare it to other stuff, it's not exactly bank busting. Yeah, it's not, it's not terribly expensive, and that's the kind of price range you're looking at for something like that as well, isn't it? I mean, I'll be completely honest. I don't actually use an interface. I just plug straight into my mobile phone. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, um, Samsung used to have their own door system oh. um, called called SoundCamp. Yeah. It looks like they've stopped doing it because I tried to get it again for one of uh, one of my other phones, and yeah. it looks like they've stopped doing it. But it's actually because I've still got it. Yeah. Oh, you can still use it. It still gets updates and whatnot, and it is actually really good for what it is. I mean, if I plug directly from the headphone out from my amp. Yeah. Um, I can, I can use my guitar. I can actually use a microphone through my amp. And it, 
does a really good job. Now, it's a shame that they don't still do it anymore, and I've been looking for another door system similar, because if I do end up having to get a new phone, I can't then use SoundCloud, so I'm looking for something that works the same way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, Not yeah. SoundCloud, SoundCamp. SoundCamp. Oh, it's a terrible name, isn't it? SoundCamp. <laughs> um. Yeah. I think they're um, I think they're trying to take on the uh, Bandcamp name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of it's it's swinging a miss though with that one. Um yeah. I managed to jerry rig um because I had a a Line 6 um amplify footboard and I managed to jerry rig that directly into my mobile phone uh, for recording and that worked absolutely astoundingly. Um unfortunately right. I've lost um, lost it, so I can't use it anymore. Um, no. But that that's great for... Um, it, it was basically... I bought it as a footboard, just as something cheap and easy, as almost like a headphone amp for me. Um, but mm. I, I found out that it worked as a USB interface and managed to jerry-rig it through GarageBand. Uh, and it worked amazingly. So, I mean, if, if it's only for simple practice... That might be a, a an option as well, and you get a free um, effects pedal essentially, which yeah. is fantastic. I mean, if he's only using it for if he's only using it for practice, it, it might be just as well looking at um, some of these multi effects units that have an auxiliary in on them. Yeah, an MP3 player into it. And yeah, and like I say, some of them these days have got USB out, so you can use it as an interface. Yeah. Um. I think we've given them a bit of food for thought there. Um, we're going to go for one more, and then I think uh, I think that'll be us for tonight. Um, as much as I want to have a moan about my temperature controls <laughs> environments yeah. for my guitar, uh, I think we're going to leave that. Um, our, our good friend, uh, Cy, who has been mentioned a couple of times this, uh, this podcast, um, he... He put up a little rant this week about how do you quantify the amount of money that you are willing to spend on a guitar pedal. Um, so, Matt, you buy quite a few pedals. Yep. Uh, do you want to kind of let us into your thought process? Um, yeah. My thought process is basically... Um... I try and play one if I can get hold of one. Um, living over here, that means trying to find somebody who already owns one because there are local shop, as I've said many times, stocks. Yes, yeah, stocks more. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> sorry. Um, basically, if I can, if I can try them, then all the better. But if not, it's um, listen to online any online reviews from people that I trust if they've got them and if not it's just a case of buy and hope for the best um, I will basically buy the not maybe most expensive but certainly the the pedal that's got the most acumen the, the pedal that I've heard the most good things about from yeah. the, mainly the guys on Fret Talk or, or you know the, the guys within our, our um, so like my drive for a long time was a soul food but um yeah i really wanted a hot really wanted a hot cake and um, when i came into enough money to buy a hot cake i bought one um uh, you have other things like um i had a tone city 
golden plexi that um, I got rid of. Um, I was happy enough with the sound when you're playing through it, but it's very loud when you're not playing. Um, it, it just it doesn't like being in a, a live situation. You, you couldn't sort of like stop playing and have a quiet bit in a song to get a loud hiss in the background. Uh, um, right, so right, yeah. oh, so I you know, replaced it with the... Not the Angry Charlie, what's the... Marvel, the Marvel Drive. Um, mm. Expensive one, but... Um, it, I've just heard so many good things about it, and I've got a mate who had a... I've got the V3, he's got a V2, um, but yeah. I basically go for the, the best that I can possibly find. I'm not somebody who's too worried about cost, unless I'm struggling that month, in which case I just won't buy a pedal. Yeah. Um, if, if it costs 200 quid, it costs 200 quid. If it costs 40 quid, then even better. Um, but I'm not somebody who's going to not buy a pedal because it's it's ridiculously priced. Yeah. So there's there's not necessarily a cap on your uh, your spending. It's more um, what you think will do the job for you the best. Yeah, yeah. I'm, there's certainly no cap on my spend. Like I've, I've got an analog man chorus on my board that. I bought second hand and that still cost me 180 quid second hand because they're <laughs> yeah they're 250 quid plus import tax and shipping from the states. So when they come in, whoever whoever imported it must have spent over 300 quid on it. Damn. And uh, Paul, Paul one. How about yourself? Um, I was just thinking about this actually because over the course of the time I play guitar, I went and spent. Um, much a, a sizable chunk of the money I had at the time on a Boss GT10, which isn't particularly great anyway, but I thought I want some effects, I'm going to get all of them at once that sounds <laughs> fine yeah. I did not delve into anywhere near the depths of that thing at, at any point, um, didn't tweak it or put it in a chain or set anything up, I just kind of I used a drive and a bit of a delay and the, the loop and then I got rid of it about 8 years later for about a third of the price I paid for it yeah. So since then, I've been. My approach is kind of a bit risk averse. I know the things I want, and if I can't get it on Gumtree within a five mile radius of my house, I don't get it. But it's all stuff that if I buy it for fifty quid, I'm going to sell it for fifty quid. So, I mean, yeah. I've got pretty st- standard pedals. Like I've got some Boss, a couple of NXR, TC Electronic. No, I've not got anything. Oh shit. But if I don't have something that I want to try, like uh, I didn't have a tremolo, I went on Amazon, I got a Joyo tremolo for 25 quid. Is um, that the one, the one with the picture of the pit bull on the front? Yeah, the, yeah, the pit bull, um, which is fine. I mean, I don't, again, I don't play the band or anything. I just like to knock all these things on at some point and make a bit of a racket and switch them off. Yeah, no, I've been told good things about the uh, the Joyo tremolo. It's not even, it was like it's 25 pounds, you know what I mean? It's, I've, Spent yeah. more on the lunch, but um, <laughs> it's it's uh, I think that's my approach is that I, do, I don't use these things in a professional or semi professional environment. I want to make a bit of noise, no doubt. That, but everything I have, there's a better version out there, but yeah. I don't really need it, so I just go for what's what's trusted and what is affordable, and that's kind of what my floor is full of. Really. Yeah, I think um, my uh, my stance on this has been it's it's never been a secret um from from my uh, my instagram channel um but i mean i've i've spoke quite freely on here as well um 
that I'm adverse to um, to spending over kind of over a hundred pounds more for um, for a single guitar effect um, because I know what components cost. I know um, roughly what goes into making them. Um, and I, I can't justify it in my head spending multiple hundred pounds on something which costs a fraction of that to build. Um, I and I, I know that there are other factors. I, I, I thought, um, the same thing. I was looking at what was here and I thought I've heard good things about um, the Flint, Strand and Flint. Yeah, yeah. It was like, I've heard good things about that. I could bump off two or three of these pedals and replace it with one of those. Yeah, and I looked at it. I was like, well, that's three hundred pound, <laughs> and I'm not going to get anywhere near that to get rid of these, and they're fine. And I probably would like a luscious boutique, you know, Strymon pedal on the floor to play with. But yeah. would I get as much as I need it, or would I get what? Would I get the best out of it? I imagine no, because I don't have the attention span. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you you get that option paralysis with the, uh, the Strymon <laughs> stuff, don't you? Um, I think uh, I did a little experiment myself where I managed to pick up a couple of kind of boutique um brand pedals um for relatively cheap um just to see what the fuss was about and I those those couple of pedals that I bought are kind of lying under my bed gathering dust at the moment I, I'd much rather play with um I mean, the TC Mojo Mojo is, I think you can, the cheapest I've got one for is something like 25 quid on the used market. And they're, they're not much more brand new, if I'm honest. Um, and they're an absolutely fantastic pedal. They they do what I want in a drive, um, which is why I own three of them. Um, yeah, if something's worth buying, it's worth buying three times. Um, <laughs> so yeah I mean I, I tend to use my ears but I, I'm I'm biased as well I, I I really don't want to spend over over £100 on a pedal um, what I would um, I'd give a kind of caveat to that which is I, I, I would be tempted to spend that little bit more if I was buying it from someone who's hand building it um kind of a, a smaller um smaller production um someone like um don't know if you've ever heard of it made by mike pedals um who's a guy who yeah. used to do um youtube videos um and has, has got his own little pedal company or or just any of these like like tate effects or uh, adverse effects who i've got a couple of pedals from um and i'd i would let uh, it would be less begrudging to uh to spend the money on on something like that knowing that it's going to kind of one guy who's pouring his heart and soul or her heart and soul um into into making it so uh that's kind of my stance on it um other paul um um I'm very much with you. Um, I actually, um, there's a, 
I can't remember who makes it, but there's a battle out there called the Timmy. Yes, yeah, yeah. And there was a an AB um, test between that and a clone called the Oliver. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, the the Timmy had a slightly darker <laughs> mid range to it, but aside from that, there was literally no difference to the sound of them. Yeah. And um, yet the, the Oliver was about a third of the price. Dan so Electro, knowing that... Um, Dan Electro had um, a, a pedal called the, the Transparent Overdrive uh, and allegedly they had to stop production of that um, and release a, a kind of revised circuit because it was so close um, in comparison to the right, yeah. And they were well, some, sort, something like... 30 I'm the sort of person that I look at... A, yeah, I'm, I'm the sort of person that I look at a pedal mm. and I look at the expensive stuff and I'll go, right, okay, so this is what I can get for however much. Angry Charlie, say. Yeah. What were they, 180 quid when they were new? Yeah. Um, so I'd look at something like the Angry Charlie and I'd go, right, okay. So an Angry Charlie sounds pretty much like I wanted to but it's 180 quid. There's something out there that is about 50, 60 quid and does exactly the same job. Yeah. Where is it? Um, I actually, I love the sound of the Angry Charlie, but then I came across the Pinnacle Deluxe V2. And it's, it's basically two Angry Charlies <laughs> in one box. That's a really one is, one is the actual. Yeah, well, it, it's one is it's one is the um, the main drive, and then the other's the boost. Yeah. So I was like, well, that's ninety nine pound. Why would I pay one hundred and eighty quid for an Angry Charlie when the Pinnacle V two sounds exactly the same and has a boost? They say, um, so I'm, a one I'm with one, you. Yeah, 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 I'm I'm with I'm with you on that. Um, yes, like you say, if somebody's hand making them. Maybe give it a little bit more, but I'm certainly not going to be paying three, four hundred quid for a pedal. Oh yes, definitely not. When I can, when I can get a multi-effect system <laughs> that can near enough replicate a lot of these pedals for about two hundred quid. Yeah, I mean, if you put like say two or three of those, the prices of those pedals, you'd be looking something like the um, the Line Six Helix footboard. Oh yeah, um, exactly. And that that's literally all pedals ever. And amps, yeah. So and amps, yeah. Um, that's what that's what I mean. The 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 amount that you can squeeze into a, a Line Six Helix, you you're gonna get about a quarter of that in terms of actual pedals, physical pedals. Yeah, and the, for the, you know for the same quality and same price. Yeah, there's a lot of people as well whose ears I trust wholeheartedly, who've um, who've bought up Helixes. So, I mean, though though I haven't tried one myself, I'm I'm very much of the opinion that I'm not I'm not buying three hundred pounds worth of one drive pedal. Yeah. Um, and that's where we're going to leave it tonight. Um, it's been an emotional journey, lads. <laughs> um, it always is. It all yeah. Um, so if you want to catch me uh, on Instagram, you've got. Um, budget pedal chap uh, slash budget pedal chap don't know why I said that like a robot then 
Um, if you want to go Facebook, it's slash budget pedal chap. Um, don't forget as well, you can have your say in our, um, our fret talk podcast group, which the link is always in our, uh, our description of the podcast, but essentially Facebook groups, uh, type in fret talk podcasts. Um, one of us guys will accept you onto there and you can literally have your say with any of us on there, have a little chat with us get your questions read out on the podcast and feed us some news articles as well because I don't want to be talking about Gibson every week. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen. You know what uh, Um So how can we get uh, get you outside of the, uh, outside of the podcast then, uh, Matt? Uh, yeah, so if you just want to get in touch with me, the, the podcast group is the best place. Um, if you want to see clips of my band or anything along those lines it's uh, facebook.com slash switch iom wicked paul one um i talk the biggest load of nonsense on twitter uh, under vitamin p with two n's and uh, also guitar related things in talk wicked and paul two Yep, same here, Fret Talk Podcast. Um, if you want to see clips of my band, with or without me. Um, uh, Facebook for, uh, forward slash Don't Panic Blackpool. Um, let's do account because I very rarely even go on it, to be honest, so it's probably useless. Yeah. So that's going to be us for this week. Um, so see you all next week hopefully um catch you all catch you all soon ta-ra goodbye Cheers. bye bye goodbye